Good morning. If you could take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 12 for our scripture reading this morning. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1. The Bible says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, and as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us, for all that it prepares us for, but even more importantly than that, that it reveals you. Thank you so much for revealing yourself to us through your word. What a, what a privilege it is to, to know you and, and your fellowship and your communion just by the word that you've given us. Father, I just pray that as it's preached this morning that we would be open to exactly what you have for us. Be with preacher as he speaks, fill him with your Holy Spirit, and use him in a mighty way this morning. And I do just pray that our hearts would be plowed, would be soft to what it is that you have for us. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to continue our study in the book of Revelation. We're on chapter 9 this morning, and we are looking at the subject, When Hell Visits Earth. When Hell Visits Earth. Verse number 1, it says of chapter 9, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. There can be little doubt that the book of Revelation contains some frightening images for us sometimes. Uh, Sometimes some of the most frightening images in all of the Bible. And this particular passage may be one of the most frightening in God's Word. We're in the midst here of the seven trumpets. The first four trumpets have already sounded. We've already looked at those. And they brought some horrible scenes of death and destruction to the earth as God poured out his judgment. The earth's environment has been shattered and mankind is writhing under the awful judgments of a, of a holy God. But as we study these trumpets, 
we can take courage as a child of God that we don't have to fear these things, do we? Uh, sometimes young people hear things like this and they think, boy, that's terrible and a terrible world and a terrible situation. But thank God the child of God, the saved, are going to be out of here. We're not going to go through this. If you're not saved, then it's time to be concerned and then it's time to fear. Chapter 8 closes with an angel flying through heaven, pronouncing three woes upon the inhabitants of the earth. The angel knows that the plagues unleashed by the sounding of the last three trumpets will be far more horrible than what has already been witnessed. And so they are called woes, or they are warnings. Why does the Lord give us these graphic descriptions in the Bible of what the world is going to have to deal with during the tribulation? Why write about such tragedy and death and destruction? Well, I think there's three very good reasons why God deals with these things and gives them to us here in the book of Revelation. First of all, these things are mentioned so that the church will know what we are saved from. Amen? We're not going to have to go through it. And so God reminds us of that. It's exciting to know that the child of God will be in heaven and that God will deliver his people from these judgments that are going to come upon this earth. Secondly, he extends this glimpse of the future as a warning to those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. He wants them to come to know Him. He wants them to know what they will have to face if they continue in their sin and then in their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, they're given to us so that those of us who know the truth will be motivated to share the gospel with the lost and to help them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So as we consider now in chapter 9, the fifth trumpet, I'd like us to share some of the awful realities that are presented to us here in these verses. Regardless of whether you're saved or you're lost this morning, there are some things for every one of us in this passage of Scripture. We're living in a day when the subject of hell is looked at very skeptically by most people. People just don't believe in a literal place of torment. In fact, many preachers and church members reject the notion that there is a hell and that it is presented in the Bible at all. People talk about hell and they use it as a cuss word in everyday language. But the fact is, hell is a real place. It's real. Real people are going to endure the real torments for a real eternity in a real place called hell. They can attempt to deny it if they wish, but denying it won't take it away. It's still real. In these verses, hell visits the earth. I'd like to take these verses and point out to you some of the terrible realities that will be visited upon this earth during the last days. First of all, I want you to notice a horrible personality. A horrible personality. Look at verse number one again. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, when this fifth angel sounds his trumpet, we're introduced to this horrible personality. It is my opinion that we're given the description of the devil himself in this passage of Scripture. Look how he is described. Several things are given to us about him. First of all, he's a famous personality. 
He's called in verse number one a star. I saw a star fall from heaven. We think sometimes as a star, like seeing the stars in the sky and falling, and some of that is involved in this. But also when we think about a star, we think about uh, oftentimes celebrities and those that are famous in, the, in, in this world. Sometimes people try to spiritualize this and they miss the whole point of it. I, I think the star, in fact, some try to take this star back into chapter 8. If you go back there for just a moment and look at verse number 10, it says in chapter 8 and verse 10, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many died of the waters because they were made bitter. We talked about that a little bit last week. I believe the star in, Romans, or in Revelation chapter 8 is a comet. The star in Revelation chapter 9 is a literal person. When we think about stars, we think about people who are famous. Uh, and there's a sense in which this person in Revelation chapter 9 is famous. In fact, he is known in three worlds. He is known in heaven, he is known on earth, and he is known under the earth. So he is a famous personality. Of course, the devil, according to the Bible, has a name. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, he's called Lucifer. The name Lucifer literally means brilliant star, or light bearer, or shining one. So we introduced, we're introduced to Lucifer as a famous personality. And then also, he's a fallen personality. Verse 1, verse one again says, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall. The word fall there is actually in what is called the perfect tense. It's a perfect tense verb. That means that it is something that took place in the past that has present results. In other words, in a sense, he says, I saw a star fall. We would say, we saw a star that has fallen. It's already taken place. It happened in the past, but it's going to affect the future in the tribulation period. So we're dealing with a fallen personality. Satan, Satan's fall took place sometime in the past. Luke chapter 8, 10 and verse 18 says, And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. As you know, Satan or Lucifer was a highly exalted archangel. But we, we know that he was not content with the position that God had placed him in. And consequently, he wanted to be God. I want you to hold your place there in Revelation and go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah with me. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 12. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. And look at what God says about Lucifer, about Satan, there in that Old Testament passage of Scripture. Isaiah 14, verse 12. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art, thou, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? 
And so we find that Lucifer was cast down from heaven. If you go a little bit farther in the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel, look at chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28, and again verse number 11. Ezekiel chapter 28, and verse 11. Notice what it says there. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Now when he talks about this king of Cyrus, he's talking about somebody besides just a king who was existing at that time. Look at verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, and the barrel, and the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Remember that Satan is a created being. The only uh, eternal being that has ever existed is God. All other beings are created by God. And Satan was created. Verse number 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. You see, Satan, Lucifer had a pretty high position, didn't he? But look at the next phrase. Till iniquity was found in thee. But the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the... By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence... And thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled the sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic, Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Pride was found in Lucifer. He was beautiful. He was bright. And yet sin was found in him, and he was cast out of heaven. He still has access to heaven. The devil still has the opportunity of coming into the presence of God. Revelation tells us there that he accuses the brethren. You're probably familiar with the verses back in Job chapter 1. You remember when Job had all of his problems that he went through. He was, he was uh, tested by the Lord and Satan brought some terrible things upon Job. And in Job chapter number 1, listen to what it says in verse number 6. Job 1 and verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth? a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made him a hedge about him and about his, about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and hast, his substance has increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put forth not thine hand. So Satan comes before God and God says to the devil, if you've considered my servant Job and, and, and tells how great a man he is, and the devil says, well, if you just take away everything he has, the only reason he serves you is because you bless him. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is the only reason you serve God because he blesses you? I think we ought to all serve him because he saved us from hell if we're a child of God. And he has blessed us. But the devil accused Job and said, that's the only reason why he serves God. And God said, okay, I'll move back that hedge of protection. You can touch his possessions, but you can't touch his body. And then if you listen to what it says in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says again, and you remember the story, Job lost everything that he had. He lost his family, his, his ten children died, all of his possessions died. In verse 21 of chapter 1, it says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Chapter 2, verse 1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Did you know the devil has to give an account to God? He's under the authority of Almighty God, and the devil cannot do anything that God does not allow him to do. And so he came before God, verse 2, the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro upon the earth, in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth or hateth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou moved me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. You see, the devil said, well, Job, you've taken all of his possessions, and he didn't curse you, but you touch his body. You take away his health, and then he'll turn his back on you. I wonder how many people have turned their back on God when they lost their health. Wouldn't you say that's a time when we need him most? And look at what happened, verse number 6. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. See, first God said, okay, you can touch his possessions, but you can't touch his body. Then God said, okay, I'll move that hedge back a little farther. You can touch his body, but you can't touch his life. The devil can't go any farther than God allows him to go. I remember one time years ago, I was out visiting with a man. And we went to this, it was a house trailer, I believe. And there was a big German shepherd dog on the, on the side of the house trailer, but he was on a big chain. And this man that was with me was afraid of dogs, and so he wouldn't go down to the house. So I went down, knocked on the door. But you know what? I could go down and knock on that door because I knew that dog could only come as far as that chain would let him go. How many of you are walkers? You walk or you jog. Most of us are walkers. Not too many of us are joggers, but a few of you may still. 
Have you ever gone past a house? I remember when I used to live down in, in, uh, in Walton, we would, I would walk up our street there, and there was one house that had this dog, and he'd come flying down the yard towards the road. And he'd just be running and barking, and you'd think, boy, I'm in trouble now. And all of a sudden, he'd just come to a screeching stop. And, and they had one of those electric fences in there, you know. He can only, that's the way the devil is. He can only get so far. God has his, him on a chain. God has his hedge about us. And Satan can't do anything that God doesn't allow him or give him permission to do. And so here's the devil, and he's been cast out of heaven. And he wanted to be God. God cast him out of heaven. He still has access to heaven. One of these days, and we'll see it a little bit later on in Revelation, he'll be cast out completely, and he'll have no more access. The Bible says the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does now. He goes before God, and when you and I sin, he accuses us before the Father for our sin. But we have an advocate. We have a lawyer. We have one who represents us that is Jesus Christ. And when the devil accuses me of my sin, the Lord Jesus says, but I paid for that sin with my blood on the cross. And the devil cannot bring anything, any accusation against us. That's why Romans chapter 8 talks about who can come against us. The fact is, in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, we've told that he is the prince and the power of the air. But there'll come a time when he'll be cast down to the earth. So here we see Satan cast out of heaven. He's forced to be confined to earth and to the atmosphere around the earth. The things that brought Satan down is the same thing that causes us our greatest problem. It's called pride. Satan was lifted up in pride. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will do this. I will do that. Pride will cause you to think that you are good enough without God. Someone said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's a lot of people that think, I'm good enough to go to heaven, and they'll die and go to hell because our goodness does not get us to heaven. In fact, the Bible says all of our righteousness, all of our good works are as what? Filthy rags, the Bible says, in the sight of God. You know what that filthy rag was? In the Bible days, lepers, when they had leprosy, they had to stay away from everybody. And they had to cry, unclean, unclean, when people would come around them. And in the areas where the, the trails where the, the lepers would travel, they had like, kind of like we have sometimes in our city public trash cans, they would have on a pole or a tree a, a, a rag or a cloth that would be tied there or nailed there. And the lepers would come by, oftentimes they would wipe their leprosy and, and wipe the, the oozing sores on their bodies. Nobody would ever come near or touch those rags who was not a leper. And God says, yours and my good works, our, the best we can do in the sight of God, is like that old leprous rag that nobody wants to have anything to do with. Why? Because it's not our good works. Paul said in Titus chapter 3, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. Has he saved us? It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. It's what he did for us on the cross at Calvary. Pride causes us to think that we're good enough without God. It causes us to refuse to bow. It causes us to say no. It causes us to reject him. It causes us to walk in our own self-righteousness. And pride will take us to hell. 
I have a brother, Dan, who's a year older than I am. He pastors a church in Martinsville, Virginia. And Dan pastored a church. In fact, when we were in college, he and I pastored two different churches. We were about 30 miles apart, maybe not even that far, maybe 20 miles apart. I was in, I was in Chatsworth, Georgia, and he pastored a church in Dalton, Georgia. And Dan pastored the church there, and then he went from there to work with my dad as assistant pastor. Dad was pastoring in Wheaton, Maryland, in the suburbs of D.C., and Dan went there and worked for a number of years, and then Dad went to um, Timberville, Virginia, right outside of Newmarket, Virginia, and was pastoring there. Dan went with him as an as a, his assistant pastor. And I, I took the church for a little while in Wheaton that my dad had. They called me and asked me to come when Dad resigned and moved. And Dad had a revival meeting. He had Bob Kelly come and preach revival for him. Bob had been the pastor, I think it then was the pastor at Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And so I drove us about 100 miles over to where my dad was and to be there for the revival meeting a couple of nights, and I believe it was on Monday night. Bob Kelly preached, and my brother Dan's leading, this, he's leading the invitation song, and he goes down and kneels at the, at the altar, and Bob Kelly came over and talked with him, and my brother Dan got saved that night. And I asked Dan, I said, Dan, I said, why... Didn't you get saved before? Did you, think you were, did you think you were saved and then tonight you just realized you really weren't saved? He said, no, Tim. He said, I, I always knew I wasn't saved. I said, well, why didn't you get saved? He said, well, he said, when we were in high school, Dad was the pastor, and I thought, what would people think if the preacher's son went up and got saved? And he said, then when we were in college, I was pastoring a church, and I thought, what would people think if the preacher got saved? I think that'd be good for some churches. Amen. And then he said, I was working with Dad in, in, in Wheaton and then in, in Timberville. And he said, I was thinking, what would people think if the, if, the, if the assistant pastor, who was the music director and youth director, if he got saved? What? And he said this, he said, tonight I realized that my pride wasn't worth going to hell over. And tonight I got saved. You see, pride will take you to hell. It's not worth worrying about what people think. It's what does God think and what does God say. God says in 1 Peter 5, 6, if we'll humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he will lift us up. But he says if we will exalt ourselves, he will bring us down. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so we find that Satan was a fallen personality. And then thirdly, he's a fearsome personality. He's a fearsome personality. Look back at verse number one again. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Here's this famous fallen figure, and he's given a key to the bottomless pit. He's given the authority to unlock this terrible prison and unleash a horrible plague upon the earth. We're told in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 that Jesus holds the keys of death and hell. For a short time, the power over a host of demonic spirits that are imprisoned in hell is given to Satan. While we're on that subject of the devil, let me make a few statements about him that I want you to remember. First of all, Satan is a real personality. He is a real personality. He exists in this present world, 
And he has power that is very, very real. He's not a myth. There is a real devil. You can look at what goes on around us in our world and know there's a real devil. Amen? How many times have you heard somebody say, the devil made me do it? Most of the time, I think that's an excuse. James tells us we're drawn away of our own lusts. Usually it's us that made us do it. But the devil is a real personality. Secondly, Satan has never been in hell. He's never been in hell. He's not there today, and he never wants to go there. He will be sent there one day. If you'll go over a few pages, look at Revelation chapter 20 with me in verse number 10. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. One day the devil will be cast into the lake of fire and he will be there forever and ever. But I want you to notice that he will go there as a victim, not as a ruler. Some people have the idea the devil's down there in hell passing out shovels and telling everybody to shovel coal and what to do. No, no, no. He's the worst tormented creature in hell. He hates the thought of hell, but he'll be punished there throughout all eternity. And then thirdly, Satan is one of the great mysteries of the Bible. Why would God allow a being, a created being, a fallen being, to have the power that he does? Satan does have power. That's why we're told to beware of him. We're to be careful. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He has more power than you and I have, but praise God, there is somebody that's more powerful than him. The Bible says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, and God is far more powerful than the devil. So we see a horrible personality. Secondly, I want you to notice a horrible place. Look at verse number 2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. In this verse, Satan takes the key that he has been given to the bottomless pit, and he opens the door to hell. This verse tells us just how close men are to hell. One turn of the key unleashes upon the earth hell itself. I know when my wife Vicki got saved at, at teen camp, the speaker, the preacher there, was talking about hell and how it was just eternity it was just a heartbeat away and he kept clicking the microphone I'll do this one down here he kept clicking the microphone and he said hell is just one heartbeat away and he would click it like that and then he, then after he did that for a while he stopped and he said that's close that's how close you are to hell if you're not saved one heartbeat one turn of the key and hell was unleashed. Now this verse has some things to say about the place called hell. First of all, it tells us that it's a deep place. It's called a bottomless pit. Some people think that when people are cast, the Bible says later on in Revelation they were cast into outer darkness. It's, they, they believe that 
this, this bottomless pit is a place where you'll be continually in darkness and torment and fire, and you'll be falling and falling and falling and falling. It's a bottomless pit where you just keep falling and falling and falling. It's a deep place. The word bottomless is the same word from which we get our word. It's the word abyss or a deep chasm. It's literally the word well. It's like a deep well that just keeps going down and down and down. When Satan turns his key and opens the pit, he's literally opening the shaft that leads into hell itself. Science denies it. Lost men deny it. Human reasoning denies it. But there is a place under the earth called hell. The souls of lost people suffer in the fires of hell forever and forever and forever. And it's clear from the verses that follow in this chapter that certain demons are already being held there, already awaiting the time when this, this uh, Satan, this star, this Lucifer will open the pit and they'll get out for a little while. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. There are some demons which are fallen angels that are already chained in darkness. Jude verse 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. So it's a deep place, a bottomless pit. It's also a dark place. Verse 2 speaks about the, the smoke that came out of the pit. It says, There arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. We're told that smoke ascends out of that pit, and that smoke is so great that it obliterates the light of the sun and the moon. There's an old saying, you've heard it, where there is smoke, there is fire. The same is true in this case. Hell is a place of fire. I want you to look at Luke chapter 16 with me, in verse, beginning in verse 19. The Gospel of Luke chapter 16. Familiar passage of Scripture to us of the rich man and Lazarus. And it says in Luke 16 verse 19, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. Verse 21, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. It says, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Verse 24, and he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hell is such a tormenting place. This man didn't ask for a cup of water or a glass of water. He said, just dip his finger in water and touch my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And verse 26 says, And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, notice this, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. In other words, 
God says, when you're in hell, those that are in hell can't come back. And those that are here can't go communicate with those there or be with those there until death, obviously. When a person goes to hell, it is forever. And he says, there's a great gulf fix so that they that would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him my fa- to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. He said, I've got five brothers, at least go tell them so they don't come here. You know, if somehow we could open hell and unleash the people that are there, I believe we'd have the greatest soul winners this world has ever known. They'd warn us not to come there. They'd warn us not to go to that place of torment that is called hell. If you're back in Revelation, look at chapter 14 with me in verse number 10. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. It says there, Revelation 14, 10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. Hell is forever. The smoke of their torment, the dark place, it's going to ascend forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 and 9 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Yes, there is a place of darkness. There is a place of anguish. There is a place of torment. Matthew 8 and verse 12 says, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no partying going on in hell. Sometimes people say, Well, all my friends are going there. I'll just go there too. There's no partying. There's no friendship. It's a place that no one should ever want to go to. It's a place where no one has to go to. Men joke about hell and they try to pass it off as a silly superstition, but hell is real and wise people will do everything they can to avoid going to that terrible place. Wise people will make preparation through salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not believe it, but a good, loving, gracious God will allow you to go to hell. Sometimes people say to me, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to go there, so what did he do? He sent his only son and allowed man to crucify him and nail him to an old rugged cross, and Jesus gave his life so that no one would have to spend eternity in hell. That's how much God loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then not only is it a dark place, it's a disturbing place. It's a disturbing place. Hell is disturbing to me simply because it exists. And it ought to disturb us when we think about the place where lost people will go forever. 
As a pastor, I think about preaching the Word of God and, and there may be someone sitting in the pews in this auditorium today that will someday burn in hell forever and ever because you rejected God's love and God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That disturbs me. It's a disturbing place. And then it's a demonic place. Throughout the New Testament, hell is a place that's associated with demons and demonic activity. Luke chapter 8 and verse 31 teaches the truth that the demons fear to be sent there. You remember when Jesus uh, cast the devils out of the maniac of Gadara. You remember that when he did so, they besought him that he would not... It says, it says they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. In other words, they didn't want to be sent to that deep pit. They didn't want to go there. And what happened? He allowed them to go into a herd of swine and the pigs had enough sense not to let the demons live in them and they ran down the, the hillside into the, into the sea and committed suicide, I guess you would call it. Or hogicide. They had enough sense not to allow the demons to be there, but the demons besought the Lord and, and, command, and, and they said that He would not command them to go out into the deep. They didn't want to go to that terrible place. Revelation 11 verse 7 tells us the beast, the Antichrist, will ascend out of this place. It's a terrible place. And Satan himself one day will spend eternity there. A horrible personality. A horrible place. There's a third thing we'll have to come back tonight for me to talk about a horrible plague that's going to take place there. I think all of you would agree with me this morning. We don't want to go to that horrible place. Amen? And aren't you glad God made a way that we don't have to go to that horrible place? We don't have to. He's made a way so that we can have eternal life. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for telling us. We don't like to preach about this and talk about the horrible personality of the devil and the horrible place, this bottomless pit, this awful place where men and women and boys and girls who reject Jesus Christ, who reject the love of God, the God of love, and His only way of salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, will spend eternity in torment, in darkness, in pain and agony, crying out for just a drop of water. What a terrible way to have to spend eternity. And that rich man went to hell not because he was rich, but because he rejected Jesus. And that's been almost 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. And for 2,000 years, he's been falling and twisting and turning and crying. And the Bible says gnashing his teeth and weeping and crying out and suffering. And there's no end for eternity. Lord, I pray that if there's one person here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would come to trust you, be saved today. The night I was saved in a revival meeting, my dad preached on the message on hell. Thank you, Lord, on that night, you touched my heart. I didn't want to go to that awful place. And you saved me. 
made me a child of God and gave me a home in heaven. I never have to fear. I never have to worry about closing my eyes in death here because I know I'll open them in the presence of the Lord. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder how many here today can say, Preacher, when I close my eyes in death, not you think or you hope or you wish, but you can say, I know. When I close my eyes in death here, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to open them in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I'm saved. Would you just raise your hand as a testimony of that fact? I know for sure if I died today that I'd go to heaven to be with the Lord. I know I've been saved. God bless you. You may put your hands down. I couldn't see everybody's hand and I wouldn't embarrass anybody, but I'd like to pray for you. I wonder if there's somebody here today and say, Preacher, I don't know that for sure. I'd like to know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Or maybe you say, Preacher, I know. You're like my brother Dan. You say, I know I'm not saved. Don't let your pride take you to hell. I wonder if there's somebody here today and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'd like to know that for sure. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I don't know for sure, but I'd like to know for sure. Pray for me. Just slip it up and put it back down. Let me pray for you this morning. Anyone? I don't know, but I'd like to know. I wonder how many of you would say, Preacher, I do know. I died today. I'm going to heaven. But I have some friends and relatives that don't know. Would you pray with me for them that I can tell them how to go to heaven? Pray with me for them. Would you lift your hand let me pray with you for them? God bless you. Amen. Amen. Lord, our heart's are always heavy when we talk about hell and eternity because all of us have family members or friends, co-workers, neighbors, people that don't know you. They don't know the love of God like we do. Lord, help us to never, never, never get over what you did for us. May we never get used to the awfulness of hell. Burden our hearts to tell others. And if there's one person here today that does not know for sure, I pray, Lord, that you'd not give them rest or peace until they say yes to you. They're, in a sense, at war with you, not at, not at war with me, but with you. You love them. You paid their sin debt on the cross at Calvary. And you want them to go to heaven to be with you. Would you help them to open their heart and life to you before it's eternally too late? And for our friends and loved ones, Lord, give us the courage and give us the wisdom and give us the, the knowledge and the help to tell them and to warn them. And may we keep praying. May we never give up praying till they come to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.